Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome back to a special NFL Combine episode of Talking Ball with Pat Leonard, brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online with live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BLEAV, that's all caps, B L E A V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. And where I start is with a very special guest, the godfather of mm-hmm. film himself, executive producer and analyst for the NFL matchup show on ESPN, which just had a banner year, senior producer for 43 years at NFL Films and co-author of The Games That Changed the Game. He is the one and only Greg Cosell. Greg, thanks so much for being here. Oh, Pat, thanks for having me, man. I love talking ball with you. Me too. And, you know, Greg, if you know Greg at all, and I know you do because you're a football fan and you're here, you know that Greg Cosell grounds the conversation about football in the work, in the football, in the film. And Greg, it has to be wild to you to look nowadays and see what this industry has become around the draft process. I'm wondering from your vantage point, when you started uh, this type of work, how, how drastically different is um, the, the, the pre-draft process and the film study process in the media between when you started it uh, and what it looks like today? It's drastically different, Pat. I mean, it's funny because... I actually produced and did not do it well. The first um, combine show that was on the NFL network going back years and years and years. And at that point, the combine was still very secretive and it was a very difficult process. And I just didn't know how to navigate through it. And I didn't do it particularly well and was told about it by my bosses and they were right. Um, (laughs) But, you know, thinking back to those days, it was not really a media event at all. The draft was not a big media event at all. I remember going back years here at NFL Films, obviously I've been here 43 years, where, um, you know, the draft would be on a Tuesday morning and we'd get like bagels and cream cheese and go into our theater on a Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. And that's when the draft was. And it was not a big event at all. It was big, obviously, for us because we're NFL Films, but it was not a big event out in the world. And, Mm. um, you know, so... So interesting. People other than teams we're not studying, you know, players coming out really. I mean, you know, that, that was not really an industry, you know, you watch (laughs) games on TV, ESPN at that time was not televising, you know, a thousand games and other networks like FS1 and, you know, uh, whoever, you know, were not televising games. So you weren't seeing players the way you see players now, even if you don't have access to tape, you just weren't seeing players on TV the way you, you you are now i mean i i remember i mean i'm older than you but i remember when there was literally one or two games on on saturday and that was it you know it was a big game and that was it and uh, you might get a regional game you know i remember you know for years and years you know it was Pitt versus penn state you know regional game in the east coast and then you could get a national game you know when it was like ucla usc was a big national game back years ago and other than that, you didn't really see, maybe you saw a Big Ten game here and there. 
But now, you know, um, and again, I don't know when I see on social media what kind of access people have to college tape. College tape is not readily available. Fortunately, because of where I work, I don't have to peruse the Internet to try to find tape. You know, where I work gives me all the college coaching tape. Um, so I don't know for the people that do that work if they're watching coaching tape or not. I hope they are uh, because it's, to me, again, and and look, it's still human beings evaluating human beings no matter who's doing it, even teams. So, mm-hmm. Pat, I've been wrong on a lot of players just like a lot of people have. But yeah. just in terms of process, I don't think you can do it right unless you're really watching coaching tape. And that's what's important people should understand about how Greg works is – a lot of us, as you're saying, Greg, a lot of us might see highlights or the actual games that, like you said, decades ago, weren't even available on television for somebody in like the North Jersey, New York area to even watch. Right. What you're watching is that coaching tape, the coaching film, which is really the way, the only true way to evaluate what's happening on the field, the spacing that's on the field, the all 22. And this is what the teams are using as well. I guess my, my one other question about the process, it sounds like you answered it a little bit was, do you, so do you think that the way the draft is covered has impacted the way teams draft? And it sounds like you're saying <coughs> this, this, um, this um, kind of uh, enormous amount of extra information would have to impact that in some way, correct? Yes, it, it does. There's no question that teams are very conscious of mock drafts because there are so many by people who are respected and do a really, really good job. So there's no question that, you know, there's a, there's a group that does a great job, a group of people out there. So um, teams are certainly aware of that. Now, Mm -hmm. I guess it depends on who the people are that are doing the mocks. I'm not a big mock draft guy myself. I don't do a mock. I just love the process of evaluating, you know, obviously in my mind when I'm watching someone, I think to myself, Oh, I don't see this guy as a first round pick or, you know, this guy is a day three pick. Obviously those thoughts go through my head, but I don't do an official mock draft, but I'm sure because there are so many respected people now that do mocks that teams are aware of that. And they probably even speak to to some of these guys, you know, Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. You would, you would hope ultimately that, teams and their scouts, because scouts, as you know, spend so much time, they go to the schools, they talk to a lot of people, they grind it, um, that that would be the basis for making their picks. But there's no question they're well aware now of mock drafts and what what people think about certain players. So interesting, such an industry. And I'm always grateful because I have my head buried in the NFL game all fall, all winter, that there are experts like yourself who are spending so much time watching the real football, the real tape of these prospects who maybe no one's talking about them in October, but then we get to March and that's all anybody cares about. Right. And so we're extremely grateful that you put in the time, the work, and that you're here with us to share your knowledge. Now, we could go in a hundred different directions talking the NFL draft, and I do talk the whole league, but because I do cover the Giants and we are here and there are certain positions they are looking at, I wanted to zero in a little bit with you today to start with wide receivers. Right. And Joe Shane, it's no secret, has come from Buffalo and is in some ways trying to attach the Bills blueprint, which was extremely effective, to what's going on in here in New York. And I wanted to start by asking you this. Stefan Diggs was a player who elevated the Bills offense and the Bills team when he got there. When you look at this draft... Do you see any receivers whose traits would be comparable 
to that type of receiver, the Stefan Diggs type of receiver that a team like the Giants could get in the first, second round? Well, the thing about receivers is they come had in all different sizes and shapes and, and skill sets and traits, which is why I personally find it hard to make a list of wide receivers. You know, it's very difficult to, let's say, compare a, a 5'9", 180-pound wide receiver with a 6'3", 215-pound wide receiver. You know, they're, they're more than likely in the NFL, they would be deployed in different ways within the context of an offense, you know, just simply because of size and traits. Um, you know, then it comes down to, I think, what you're looking for. You're closer to the Giants than I am. Maybe you've had these conversations with a Joe Shane or a Brian Dable or, or you know, uh, the wide receiver. Who's the wide receivers coach? Isn't it? Uh, is Mike Grow. Mike Grow, who I know. I know Mike Grow. That's what I thought. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so everybody has a sense, you know, unless you feel someone is truly transcendent, you know, of, hey, this is the kind of receiver we would really like to have. Now, I don't know how the Giants feel about that. You know, I think someone like Quentin Johnston, some will see him because of his size and what I imagine will be his 40-yard dash speed. Some will see him as possibly being that guy, okay, mm-hmm. because he's he's going to end up being 6'3 plus, probably in the 215 range. Um, you know, he's he's obviously big. He's, he's fluid. He's... He can run. I believe he'll likely run under a four or five. And and if you're six three plus two fifteen and you run under a four or five, you'll be considered fast. Um, you know, he's a guy that I thought watching his tape, for instance, was best running movement routes. By that I mean vertical routes, post routes, over routes, shallow and intermediate crossers, routes where he's on the move. In other words, he's not a sink your hips and settle down type receiver. You want to get him on the move because the other trait that 6'3 receivers have, and maybe people don't think about this, it took me years. I got a few guys wrong, and it took me years to recognize that stride length is a trait. And when you're 6'3, you have stride length. When you're 5'9, you don't. So, Six three receivers eat up ground really quickly, especially when they have free access off the ball. You know, I remember getting guys wrong for that reason, and then it made me think back to watching Randy Moss. I was not doing college tape when Randy Moss came in the league, I believe, in 1998. I think that's correct, but it's around there. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching him with the Vikings, and if he had free access, particularly if they put him in motion – it seemed like he took three steps and he was 15 yards down the field. <laughs> and so stride length is a trait. Um, and, you know, someone like Quentin Johnston, who's, like I said, 6'3 plus, that's a factor in your evaluation of that player. Um, so mm-hmm. if you're looking for that kind of receiver, you know, the question is, do you see him as a big time number one? You know, in other words, the guy that you can, in a sense, build your receiver room around or is he a vertical movement guy that would be a compliment to a guy that you'd really like to have, like the like the Justin Jeffersons, Devontae Adams, Jamar Chases? You know, sometimes you can't, you know, you can't be choosy because if you need if you need a receiver, it's it's what's available, you know. But then there's plenty of other receivers who are different in this draft. I mean, I'll give you three names, you know, because I've done probably 20 plus receivers already. That's usually the position I start with. Okay. Um, because about 35 of them, as you know, are drafted every year. 
it, it, that position may be the most drafted position every single year. So I usually start with receivers so I can get through a whole bunch of them. And then there's always free agents, you know, like Hodgins. You know, Hodgins was a free agent, and, um, you know, the Giants signed him off the Bills roster, and he ended up being arguably their number one receiver down the stretch. That's so, you know, point. there's always free agents. From your, from your perspective, you can, almost can't evaluate enough receivers, to your point, because Correct. you can find them all the way through the draft and out of the draft and make them – or they can be productive in certain offenses and certain fits, right? I mean, look, we spent time at the uh, Super Bowl talking to Richie James. You know, Richie James coming out of Middle Tennessee State, drafted, I believe, by the Niners, was it not? Um, yep, the Niners. Yep, yeah. and, and now he's with the Giants. And look, when the season started, no one would have thought Richie James and, and Hodgins would have been two of the three. Obviously, Slayton was there already, but that James and Hodgins would have been two of their top three receivers. And that's Indeed. the way the season played out. So you're 100% right. I wish I could watch 80 receivers, but I can't. <laughs> You know, but I'll give you three names of guys that I really like their tape. Now, again, okay. I don't know how Joe Shane sees it. Yeah. Um, Zay Flowers from Boston College. Now, it's funny. I did Zay Flowers very early in the process. And in fact, I did his last summer. I did his 2020 tape and his 2021 tape. And then he was one of the first guys I did. Literally, it was probably the week before the Super Bowl because we were finished with the matchup show and I could okay. start, you know, watching college tape. And I did him then before Mox even came out, you know, before any of that stuff. Yeah. And I really like Zay Flowers. And then all of a sudden I, I see one of the early mocks and I forget who it was, had him late first round. And, I, you know, I just he's one guy whose tape I really like. I think he's a factor at all three levels. Obviously, he's not big. I think I probably have his. um uh, measurables because I believe because he played there for a long time. Is he five um, ten or or is he? I'm going to tell you right now. Okay. Let's see. He's five nine and a quarter, one eighty two. All right. <clears throat> but I mean, I think that he fits today's NFL game really well. He works in space. He's got great run after catch ability. You know, I made the point that I could easily see him in a Chiefs or Dolphins offense, but that doesn't mean they're the only two path that I could see him in. Um, no, that makes that I makes sense he, though. That that puts my mind in the frame of yeah. how, how he could be used, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think he's a really strong prospect. I think, like I said, he can work all three levels. He's multi-locational within the formation. He's got quickness. He's got speed. And again, this was before any mocks. I, I ended my transition line saying Flowers will be a top 40 pick in the NFL draft and could easily be se selected late in the first round. You know, <clears throat> and I really, I loved his tape. And then there's another guy whose name, since I watched him too, by the way, I'm starting to see his name flying up, which again, doesn't make me right. Like I said, I've been wrong on guys too. But um, there's a kid from Cincinnati named Tyler Scott. Um, I don't know if you've seen his name very hmm. much. Not, um, not much, no. I, I got to be honest. This kid can run. I mean, he is vertically explosive, um, but there's more to him than that. You know, first of all, his speed shows up on tape. He plays to his speed, okay? That's always important for guys – you know, and he's a track guy initially. So, you know, I think he'll probably run, you know, a four, three, one, he'll be one of those guys. He'll blow up the combine with his speed. Wow. Um, okay. And then you get caught up in the way the game is today, you know, with bubble screens, tunnel screens, jet sweeps, those plays have become important in today's NFL. You know, you want to get guys who can run the ball on the move, you know, to take advantage of their speed. You know, you wouldn't have thought this 10, 15 years ago. Now, those things are important in today's game. You know, look at teams like the Chiefs. Okay, I hate to keep mentioning the Chiefs, but they're pretty good at this. You know, <laughs> there's the, a reason. The, yeah, yeah, the way they get guys the ball 
in space on the move. Guys who have explosive movement traits, whether it's pure speed, whether they're shifty and elusive. You know, look, look, you're very familiar with Kadarius Tony, who was drafted by the Giants. It didn't work out for whatever reason. You know that better than I. Yeah. But, you know, then he goes to the Chiefs and all of a sudden he becomes a factor. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's no knock on the coaching staff. It's just, you know, that's the way that the Chiefs have been built over the years. What they did with Tyree Kill, what they do with Mecole Hardman. That's kind of built, you know, baked into their offense. I find it fascinating as I listen to you too, like when you mentioned that TCU's Quinton Johnson, for example, stride length being a factor, I'm sitting here learning from you that, so not only does he run these certain movement routes well, but you want him running those routes because it takes advantage of a strength. And so like you're mentioning Kadarius Tony, and you're talking about Tyler Scott, I think this is really instructive, not just for listeners, but like I said, I'm taking notes on... These aren't just qualities these guys uh, do well when you use them that way. It's also instructive on how they can slash should be used optimally in offenses. And like you said, you're not in the prediction business, but this is this is one of the many reasons we have you on right now is because I think people would do well to not do the rush to, oh, well, who are the Dolphins going to take at this pick and rather step back and evaluate it from a sense of, conceptually what makes this player best in a certain offense. And then you can come up with, like you said, four five, six teams or types of offenses where, Oh, I could envision him factoring or, you know, being used optimally in that set. So, uh, you know, it's just something I think I notice as I listen. And it's to funny it. you say that because obviously I don't work for a team, so I don't have a mandate from Brian Dable or Mike grow um, or, or Mike Kafka as to, you know, what they're specifically looking for, because everybody is looking for something. Coaches coach what they know. And if Mm -hmm. there's not, like I said, a transcendent guy, like Jamar Chase was transcendent. Everybody would have taken Jamar Chase. Those guys don't happen every single year, just like there's not transcendent quarterbacks every single year. You know, you know, sometimes people think there are, there are not, you know. So if there's not that guy, then you start thinking about, adaptability to a scheme and an offense. That's the difference, Pat, between scouts and coaches. Scouts are looking not solely, but scouts think more in terms of measurables and traits. Okay. Okay. Coaches tend to think more in terms of adaptability to a scheme. Now, again, what I just said is not a hundred percent. That was not black and white. It's not scouts only think about traits and measurables and coaches only think about adaptability to a scheme, but you know, I don't know if you happen to hear Todd Monken, the um, the new OC for the Ravens. He had a press conference the other day, and mm-hmm. he said something that I was told by a veteran NFL coach years ago, a guy who's since retired and coached in the NFL for 40 years. And he said, coaches coach what they know. And therefore, they, they think about players in the context of that. Because mm-hmm. Monken said, hey, he said the same thing in his press conference. He says, hey, you coach what you know. You know, yeah. so coaches coach what they know. So they have a sense of how they see players in their scheme. Now, right. that doesn't mean the Giants wouldn't be interested in Zay Flowers or Tyler Scott. That's not my point. But Tyler Scott is not likely to be a first-round pick. Maybe he will be. I don't know. He's going to run, like I said. My guess is he'll run a 4-3, somewhere in the 4-3s. But the other receiver I really, really like, and from what I understand, I watched him too before the Super Bowl, and then I watched him before the Super Bowl because I read he was blowing up the senior bowl practices. Okay. And he's in the SEC, and that's Jonathan Mingo. And mm. he's from Ole Miss. And Jonathan Mingo is 6'1 plus 
226 pounds, and I think this guy could play in any offense. You know, I mean, I thought he was one of the most intriguing prospects I watched. Size, stride length, physical strength, competitiveness, can line him up anywhere. He's big, he's physical, he was smooth. You know, again, not that the 40 time is the be-all, end-all, because guys don't line up in the NFL on a track stance to, to release into routes, but I'm very curious to see what he he runs. Um, but I really like this guy's tape, and I think he can line up any – I think he can be in any system and, and play anywhere. This is why you're here, because three guys you just highlighted, <coughs> one of them I had on my list, Flowers, bless you. Two of them I didn't even have – written down. So you're, you're directing me and directing my eyes and my attention uh, towards some more talent that is definitely in it. Like you said, every year people talk about what positions up, what positions down. And it right. certainly sounds like you're saying there, is, there doesn't look like there's a Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase in this class, but receivers are drafted frequently high throughout the draft every year. And so to your point, this isn't about what can the Giants just get in the first round, too. This is about they could get value and they can get talent throughout. Um, there was one guy who kind of intrigues me, and I don't know where he fits. I was curious what you think of him. Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee. I watched um, him as well. Okay, yeah. I'm just curious about, uh, you know, not to compare him to Randy Moss, but I watch it. You know, you watch his tape, you watch his games, and you mentioned, like, when you're evaluating a guy, wondering where he fits. I wonder where a guy like him fits and what his strengths and weaknesses are as a player because yeah. he, he looks like a home run hitter, but he's he very is. wiry. Yeah, now he's, again, we don't have confirmed – or I don't have confirmed numbers on him. I'm not a scout going to the school. Um, mm. So we'll find out, you know, next week at the Combine, and I know you'll be there as well. Hopefully we'll get together. Um, but, uh, you know, my yep. guess is he's going to be in the 6 feet 185 range. You know, he's he's – He's kind of a thin, wiry guy. Now, that's not too thin. Hey, look, Garrett Wilson was 183, 184, and he's, you know, he plays he plays physically, though. Hyatt's not that guy. Um, and I'm not suggesting he's weak, but he is truly an explosive vertical receiver, okay? He will run a, a under 4-4. Um, he's got short area burst. He's got accelerating deep speed. That really kind of looks deceptive, Pat, because he's an easy glider. It doesn't no really question. look like he's right. moving, and he's moving. You, you know, you probably absolutely. noticed that as well. <laughs> you're absolutely right. And I, I don't have access to the tape, but I was watching his film, like just highlights this morning, and there was a deep ball he caught where I, I had to rewind it a couple times and count from the snap to when the ball was caught because he was so far down the field. <laughs> And it didn't look like he was even running hard and he was behind two defensive backs to your point that that's kind of why I asked about him too, because I know what I see as far as productivity, but it's honestly a difficult evaluation for, for me, for my untrained eyes, because it does, I can't tell, like you said, I can't tell how hard he's running. I can't tell, uh, does he have another gear? I can't tell that. Well, he does have another gear. The, The thing is, is Tennessee ran a true spread where literally they could be in a two by two set and the two and on each side, the wide receivers would literally be by the numbers. So he was never pressed. He, he always had free access. He was open on a lot of his targets. There was a lot of space around him when he caught the ball. Um, mm. He didn't really show run after catch. I mean, to me, run after catch is not when you catch the ball and there's no one around you and you just keep running to me, that's <laughs> not run after catch. Run after catch is when you actually, you know, catch the ball and there's people there. Like Debo Samuel, I think of with run after catch. Guys who can actually work through bodies, whether it's with shiftiness, elusiveness, power, competitiveness, whatever trade it is, but where there's people around you. 
Um, well said. So the question with Hyatt is, can he become a more complete receiver? Um, look, mm. his pure speed and explosive vertical ability will get him drafted, Pat, in the top 40 without question, maybe in the first round. Um, but he's not complete. So can he become a more versatile, high-volume target? You know, when I watched him, I thought, okay, Will Fuller was the 20th pick in the draft a number of years ago by the Houston Texans when he came out of Notre Dame. Um, vertical guy. Hyatt's got far better hands than Fuller, by the way. Far better hands. Wow. Uh, but Fuller was that guy. You know, another guy I thought of, believe it or not, is Deshaun Jackson. And Deshaun Jackson, other than one year with the Eagles when he caught 82 balls, was not really a volume target. He was a vertical guy who could change games, and every team wants that guy. And every mm-hmm. team gets mesmerized by pure speed. And like I said, my guess is Hyatt will run a 4-3-2 or a 4-3-4, and his tape shows you that speed. Sounds like you're telling me he's a piece who the rest of the league hopes doesn't land as a luxury, like number two or three receiver on an already good offense. Right. <laughs> because then yeah. he could really take the top off and, and, and make defenses frustrated week in and week out. Cause like you said, great, great comps, by the way, Will Fuller, Deshaun Jackson, where they could have one catch a game. It could be the most important play of the game. Yeah, I mean, you know, guys like that, like I said, we're not volume targets, but they could go two for 81, you know, with a 60 yard touchdown and that 60 yard touchdown could be the game winner. No doubt. Uh, a couple more receivers just real quick. And then we'll get over into uh, some t- quarterback talk before we get you out of here. I know you're very busy, more tape to grind. So um, just anything you feel about uh, Jordan Addison from USC and Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio ah. state. <clears throat> Yeah, Jackson Smith and Jigba obviously did not play this year hardly at all. So I, I watched last summer, I did him in detail, figuring, hey, he'd be a first-round pick. And obviously, it didn't work out this way this season due to injury. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigba is a, is a really interesting prospect because, you know, he worked almost exclusively out of the slot in 2021. Now, again, the way the league works now, as you know, Teams move people around, so I don't want I, – I, I try not to get caught up in, oh, he's only a slot receiver because you don't know that. You know, yeah. again, now we get into who drafts him and how they see him, but he's a smooth, refined route runner. He's got a natural feel for the pace and tempo of routes. He's, he's a nuanced player. He knows how to change speed within routes. Um, he knows how to find voids in zone. He knows how to attack and separate from corners versus man. Um, he's not a long speed guy, Pat. You know, you don't draft him as a vertical dimension. He's not Jalen Hyatt. Um, Got it. You know, and then the question becomes, because he's not big. I actually have seen him in person and been around him. You know, the question becomes, um, you know, in 2021, you did not see much of him working versus press. So that's Mm. a projection at this point. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, that sounds like more of a project. And then Addison, Jordan Addison. You know, Addison, he's an interesting guy. Um, I actually, I'm going back, believe it or not, this afternoon. I watched all his USC tape, but I wanted to go back and watch some of him in 2021 at Pitt when he caught, you know, I think about 100 balls. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, you know, he can line up outside. He can line up in the slot. He can be a factor at all three levels of the defense. He's smooth. He's fluid. He's not very big. He's very sl- thin framed. He's got a slight build. So a lot of people say play strength could be an issue, but... Then it depends on the guy. 
That was said about Devontae Smith coming out, and that has not been an issue. So that becomes a case-by-case thing. Um, He's got – he's pretty bursty. You know, there's an explosive burst off the ball when he had free access. He broke down cushions. Um, You know, I think he understands route running. I think he knows how to use his vertical stem. You know, the term that I've seen people use, which I like, is he's a separation generator. He can separate at the top of his route stem. Um, Ah. So – I think he's a really good prospect. Like I said, I'm going to just take a peek at some of his um, a Pittsburgh tape because, you know, that's when he was truly the number one guy. And, and I want to see how he was used there because that was an NFL offense under Mark Whipple. So I want to see the routes he was running in that offense in 2021 with Kenny Pickett. Great. And then uh, just circling back real quick, you mentioned Quentin Johnson right off the bat. Uh, do you have concerns about his hands at all? A little or... bit. A little bit. Okay. A little bit. Okay. Yeah. You know, All right. um, but like I said, especially if he runs under a four, four at six, three plus two fifteen. you know, you've been to the combine, <laughs> you know how that goes. Oohs and ahs. Oohs yeah, and correct. Ahs. The problem yeah, right. is, is you can't get caught up in that. I remember, and the Jets drafted this guy years ago, a receiver out of Georgia Tech Hill, a uh, Stephen Hill, Stephen and he Hill. was six, two plus two fifteen. blew up the combine Jets drafted him in the first round and he never made it. Mm-hmm. Even That's the right. kid in Minnesota drafted. Years ago, I believe with a top ten pick. Uh, what was it? Was it Williamson? No, um, Minnesota. Oh, geez, I'm yeah, drawing a I blank. Can't remember. Here. But um, another guy, you know, speed guy, good size. You got to be careful about letting you know a guy running, you know, a track meet at the combine, changing your view of, of what he is on tape. Got it. And then since since nowadays tight end often is receiver in the NFL. Any tight ends that you've evaluated um, that you can give us a sneak peek on? Because the Giants could be in that market too. Well, the one guy, I, I haven't done tight ends yet, but I have seen um, one guy that I did last summer in love. So I did him again just because I, I loved him and I wanted to see him again. And mm-hmm. that's Dalton Kincaid from Utah. So the question okay. with tight ends is, <clears throat> can they be, like in other words, I'm not going to sit here and say, that Dalton Kincaid's Travis Kelsey. Okay. Cause Travis Kelsey is going to be a first ballot hall of famer. He's arguably the greatest tight end we've ever seen as a receiver. But my point is this Travis Kelsey is the foundational receiver in that offense. Indeed. So the question is, can there be an, a tight end who's the foundational player? And I mean, you could make the argument Mark Andrews is the foundational piece, the he receiver in the Ravens offense, you know, the question with Kincaid is, can he be that guy? Or is he, you know, because there's a lot of tight ends. Look, Dolan Schultz is not a top five tight end in the league, but he catches a ton of balls and gets a ton of targets in the context of the Cowboys offense. Okay. But that doesn't make him a top five tight end in terms of traits and ability. He just, he's in the Cowboys offense. Right. You know, so when I was watching Kincaid, I was thinking to myself, can he be, in a sense, the number one target for a team in the league? And I'm not sure about that, you know, and I love him, but I, you know, but I think he's a really, really good prospect. And with the Giants, you know, in an ideal world, he wouldn't be that guy, but I think he's a really good prospect. Okay. Thanks for that. And then, you know, uh, we've, we've taken up a lot of your time, but we, we have to get a little bit of insight from you on the most important position every year, which is quarterback, obviously usually dominates the conversation. And I always like talking to you about the QBs. On the $45 million uh, position? 
<laughs> right, right. We'll see about right, that. Right, 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 right. But, but so, and, and not just for the Giants, but league wide. Um, want to get your feeling on this particular player, Anthony Richardson. Ah. And I, and I want to ask you about him because I am extremely curious in the modern NFL where so many teams this year, especially succeeded with dual threat quarterbacks. They catered offenses to the likes of Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, obviously Lamar Jackson's been around Marcus Mariota in Atlanta and the list goes on Josh Allen, even in Buffalo. I'm wondering when you look at Anthony Richardson's film, do you see a player who could uh, become fairly quickly that type of explosive, dynamic, you know, somewhat unstoppable dual threat at the professional <coughs> level? Let me ask you this, Pat. If you were, if you had to pick out traits for a quarterback to play well in the NFL, what would you say? How would you start? What What would be you know, sort of you, cause, cause you know, you could interview 15 quarterback coaches in the NFL and they'd all have the same 15 traits. The question is what value do they ascribe to those traits? So what yeah. would you say if I said that to you, tell me in your mind, you've been doing this for a while, you know, yeah. what would you say, where would you start with a quarterback? If you had to say, what does he have to do in, to be a consistent snap after snap, quarter after quarter, game after game, season after season, quality NFL say- quarterback. Uh, just off the top of my head, I would say character, uh, it- intelligence, durability, accuracy, and athleticism, I think would be my five. All right. <clears throat> so now, Pocket Anthony presence, Richardson I guess, has three yeah. things that jump off the film at you. Three things. Size. Okay. Mm-hmm. A hose for an arm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he can run. Those okay. three things jump off the film. The one thing that jumps off the film in a negative way when you watch Anthony Richardson is he is so scattershot, he misses so many routine throws. So the question with with players like Richardson, I can't speak to his character or his intelligence. You know, that's I'm just right. watching tape. I don't know Anthony Richardson personally. That's deep scout stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, so I wouldn't even attempt to speak to it. Yeah. Um. So. You know, the question becomes, he will make spectacular plays. He will miss many routine plays. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that? Okay, that's a big question. You have to decide what the answer is to that. So when it's third and seven, and you design a nice route concept to get nine yards and a first down, and he throws it over the head of the receiver or behind the receiver, and it's incomplete, how do you deal with that? Because later in the game, he might run 60 yards for a touchdown. But how do you deal with, you know, with that dichotomy? You know, because that's going to happen with Anthony Richardson. It's very now, much a description of a Justin Fields, uh, you know, the experience we just yeah. saw in Chicago this year. You know, everybody everybody is assuming, because it happened with Josh Allen, that, that Anthony Richardson will in two years be Josh Allen. He may, he may not be. We don't know the answer to that. Um so you're dealing with consistency versus spectacular, you know, that, and that's a, a major issue because you can't miss routine throws in the NFL. You just can't because you don't get a ton of them, you know? And so if you start missing guys that are open, particularly on critical down and distance situations, you know, you're off the field, hmm. uh, you know, and then your defense is on the field 
and you can't just say, well, he'll make a great play later. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Try telling a coach that in the second quarter after the second you know, interception. But right? yeah. Anthony Richardson is a highlight player right now. So if you're watching YouTube highlights and you pop up Richardson, you know, you can do this on YouTube with every player and you see his 25 best plays. Richardson mm-hmm. will wow you like no one else because he can throw the ball as far as anybody. He can th- challenge you at all levels of the defense. Uh, and he can run. He had an 80-yard touchdown run against LSU, a 60-yard touchdown run against Texas A&M. Quarterbacks don't do that. Um, mm-hmm. But he's going to miss a lot of throws, really routine throws. Okay, fascinating. One other I wanted to ask you about specifically, and then we'll get you out of here. Again, thank you so much for your time. This is great. I feel like I hear a lot about the kind of players C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are. Um, I hear a lot of the positives. I hear a lot of the knocks, whether it's Bryce Young size or whatever it is. Will Levis to me is a guy who sounds like, uh, you know, you talk to people around the league and a lot of teams like him, but I don't hear a lot of people telling me what kind of player he is. Um, how, how, you know, there's so much focus, it seems on the more controversial or debatable quarterback prospects that I feel like Levis, even though he's a first rounder has flown under the radar to me from someone just telling me straight up, who is this kid? Does he look like an NFL quarterback? And why do teams like him so much? So I put the question to you. Well, they like him because now you're getting into traits, size, arm strength, mobility. That profile will always get you, get people excited. He's 6'3", 230 plus. He's got a great arm and he's a very athletic and he's physically and mentally competitive. Um, you know, so you're dealing with higher level quarterback traits. Um, now, his ball placement needs to improve. He's not as scattershot as Richardson, but his ball placement needs to improve. He needs to develop a much better feel for the throws that require pace and touch. You know, you can't throw shallow crosses at 100 miles an hour. Uh. So, you know, he needs work. He's been in two NFL systems in his uh, college career at Kentucky because Liam Cohen was there two years ago and Rich Garangello was there this year. Those are NFL systems. So he understands those kinds of things. Um, I haven't done them in detail yet this year, but I watched a ton of them last summer. And, you know, when he's playing well, there's a rhythmic feel to his game. Um, he would drop back. He'd hit his back foot. He'd plant, set, and deliver. When he seems to be struggling, he'll get stuck in the pocket. And I, I'm just going from TV viewing now it seemed to me he got stuck in the pocket a lot and would get sacked. Okay. Keeping his eyes downfield and not. And yeah. Not and again, until I see the yeah. tape, I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and I'll never know what was in his head, but, right. <laughs> but I'll know if someone was open and the ball should have been thrown that I'll know. <laughs> no, I, I love how you keep things in perspective. We've already gone way over time. So my final question, this isn't a football question, but I've, I wonder this often about coaches too. So I put it to you. You watch so much film. What do you do in your routine? Do you take breaks? How do you rest your eyes? Uh, Uh, Does it ever get so uh, difficult to keep watching film that you've used certain types of glasses? Do you change the lighting? Like really, how, how do you maintain your ability to keep grinding away? Because I know I'm in front of a computer just writing for a couple hours. I'm rubbing my eyes, slamming the computer down, standing up, walking outside. I've always wondered about that. Yeah, I mean, there are times when I'm watching it gets certain times of the day where I know 
I'm not seeing it with the clarity that I want. So I, I need to pause, you know, because then you're just watching plays, you know, and mm. no matter, no matter how much tape I watch, you can't see everything. So, cause I, you know, when I watch tape, Pat, I always think to myself that if a coach was sitting here, he would point out 10 things that I'm not seeing, you know, because you can't see everything and I want to see everything. So I make myself crazy, but you can't, you know, so sometimes you just got to watch whatever it is you're watching and move on, you know, but yeah, yeah. you know, kind of target your viewing. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but no, I mean, I don't really get tired watching it because you're always learning something. It's fascinating. You're the best at it, the best to do it. The Godfather of film, Greg Cosell, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time and expertise and look forward to seeing you out in Indianapolis. All right, Pat, looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.